questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. It has been a mystery how humans subtly discovered civilization around 8,000 B.C. But ask indigenous people the world over, and they will state that 12,000 years ago, during a period called the Younger Dryas, another culture lived alongside them. Described as unusually tall, fair-skinned, red-haired, or blonde, these gods knew how to bend the forces of nature, enabling them to build extraordinary megalithic temples and develop a comparatively advanced civilization. After a global flood wiped out their island homelands, the remaining gods emerged as strategic locations to rebuild their former world and teach human survivors the roots of civilized society. Then they vanished. Who were these people? Where did they come from? And what did they want with us? Greetings from your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is Freddie Silva, a best-selling author and a leading researcher of ancient civilizations, restricted history, sacred sites, and their interaction with consciousness. He has published six books in six languages, including the latest one, The Missing Lands, Uncovering Earth's Pre-Flood Civilization. He has also produced critically acclaimed documentaries and is described by one CEO as perhaps the best metaphysical speaker in the world right now. For two decades, he has been an international keynote speaker with notable appearances at international conferences, TV, and radio. He is also a documentary filmmaker, art photographer, and leads private tours to sacred sites around the world. His websites are invisibletemple.com and freddysilva.com, which are both linked on our website. Freddie Silva joins us directly from Portland, Maine. Hello, Freddie. Hello, Mel. How are you? <laughs> Pretty well. It's stopped raining. It's very nice up here. Oh, it's probably about 100 degrees here in the desert where I am, but congratulations on The Missing Lance. I just finished well, reading you. it today. This is your sixth book, right? Uh, it is indeed. I was hoping to write a smaller one, but uh, somehow facts take their course, and before you know it, you're 100,000 words into a project. You know, you're preaching to the choir. After I read the book, more and more we find that things are much older than we're told. But when and how did you arrive at that conclusion, Freddie? Uh, oh, I think over the course of about 20 years, and uh, I'm not the first one to say this by any means, I'm not the last one, there's a whole group of us who are adding to the um, to, to building this beast of uh, evidence to support the fact that, yes, there was someone else here living in, in the middle of the Younger Dryas period, and it's uh, even the Egyptians were very well aware of them, and uh, we keep approaching the subject from slightly different points of view and reaching very similar conclusions, which is you know, what I find really 
exciting and challenging at the same time to come up with a different angle. And uh, what I really wanted to do was to focus on the people uh, that they, they describe as the gods. Uh, no one's really done, at least to my satisfaction, uh, a good expose of who the gods were and were they linked, uh, if they were linked at all. And of course, where they lived. We, we focus so much on Atlantis and Lemuria and over 10,000 books have been written on the subject. But, you know, have we blindsided ourselves to basically limiting uh, the fact that these people lived on two islands that are now sunk? Or did they live somewhere else? Were there more islands where they lived? Were there more territories where they kept themselves to themselves? And, and that's really what became the, uh, the focus of the project. And it really just grew from that, from the available evidence. There's no doubt in my mind that our history has been heavily edited, and you probably have come to that conclusion too. But we keep finding old structures. And in fact, just a few days ago, I saw an article of what seemed to be atomic bunkers built 2,400 years ago in India with perfect cuts in the rock, which obviously utilized extremely advanced technology. But the first thought that came to mind, Freddie, to most people, especially the scientific community, I think, it was virtually impossible to build such a bunch of rock cuts, so fine and perfectly made. And then people say, it must have been aliens. Why do we perpetuate that notion so much? Why couldn't we just say, it's another humanoid who lived during that time and was smart enough to do it? And perhaps the, the knowledge disappeared after the cataclysm. I'm glad you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, this whole ancient alien thing, you know, and, and I, I accept their point of view. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a valid point of view from their angle. But I have to say that humans are also quite clever, and also there were humanoids here who are also cleverer than hunter gatherers. And uh, I think before we start jumping to a conclusion that it's someone off planet uh, for which there's very little evidence to suggest that there were, uh, because the people that I, I keep talking to in the indigenous cultures, they describe these people as being humanoid and yet not quite human, but they were very comfortable with them. And uh, what really differentiated them from local people was the fact that they were much taller, uh, not giantesque so much. I mean, they were anywhere between four and uh, four feet taller than the um, regular human, uh, just as like, you know, I'm considered the giant in Peru, for example, I'm six foot five. Um, but they were also red-haired, uh, sometimes blonde. They were blue or green-eyed. They had beards in places where men are genetically incapable of growing beards. Uh, and uh, they're all white-skinned, which is very unusual in places like China or Polynesia or Central America. So, But overall, the uh, gods were uh, – the people were very comfortable with them. So I, my first inclination is to sort of dismiss the whole uh, alien thing, unless, of course, we are dealing with people who had the ability to travel from here to somewhere else uh, and still – in a matter of speaking, look like us. And um, the Hopi actually tend to agree with that uh, concept. And it's something that you also find in um, uh, Egyptian texts. You also find these in the Tamil texts. Uh, and they suggest that there was somehow a time when people could go to and from this world and some other location uh, of this planet. And I'm sure we'll get to this later on in the conversation. Um, and the name of Ryan keeps popping up all over the place in the, uh, in the research. So, but I, 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 keep, I keep coming back to the point that 
that these people were very much uh, connected to us in some way, in some genetic way. And eventually they did interbreed with humans because they described themselves as being half human, half divine. And they still went on practicing extraordinary things. Um, as you mentioned, uh, they had the incredible ability to shape stone as though you're making it molten or that they were making a loaf of bread. Uh, it was that easy for them. So I do think that uh, physical people, human people, uh, were able to achieve extraordinary things using a kind of natural law and a natural science that we've completely forgotten. And what I'm going to ask you sounds a little bit conspiratorial, but I wonder if the powers that want to be perpetuate this idea. And again, I'm not criticizing ancient alien fans, but I wonder, Occam's Razor tells me, Look at the easiest way, at the simplest way. If right now there's a cataclysm and you and I were to to survive, you know, maybe you can carry on the knowledge that we have before. I'm not as smart as you are, but could we actually revive the entire uh, computer world, the industry? And so we probably couldn't do that. But why do we have to say, oh, somebody from another planet must have done it because we are incapable well, exactly. I mean, the, the strongest amongst us or the wisest amongst us would probably be put in this safe haven, and uh, they basically would form the seeds of uh, a new civilization based on uh, whoever survives. Now, I think this would have been true 12,000 years ago, too, uh, using the simplest uh, logical argument. Uh, they face, and, and from all the texts that I've read so far, uh, it's quite clear that the these gods were faced with exactly the same problem. Uh, their lands were um, they, they seem to have lived somewhere different from humans. They didn't keep in touch with humans as much as we'd like to believe. They sometimes uh, would uh, communicate with us via uh, intermediaries, with messengers. Uh, they used to call them watchers, uh, who always get a bad rap, by the way. Uh, and I've tried to rehabilitate them in my book uh, because uh, it was only a few of them that went a little astray. The other ones were actually very useful people. Um, they basically kept themselves to themselves, and uh, it was only because of the first cataclysm that began the younger Dryas back in 10,800 BC, they kind of forced them to go more towards the continental areas and start rebuilding the former world of the gods, as they called it. Uh, and then after that, they basically were faced with the same problem a thousand years later uh, at the end of the Younger Dryas when rising sea levels, the disintegrating comet finally took out all of their homes and um, the survivors were faced with the option of, well, we have to st uh, start from scratch. There's not enough of us left to maintain our civilization. The only way we can do it is to teach uh, hunter-gatherers the accoutrements of civilization. And that's, of course, the exact moment that we find civilization accidentally and suddenly happening in different parts of the world um, and coincidentally at the same places that where all these stories of the gods come from. So I think there was that a wonderful moment in time where these people were forced to intermingle with humans and uh, human civilization took on a completely different turn. Um, the same would be true today. I think that if we came from, let's say, let, let's just say for the sake of argument, uh, in, in the Western world, and I'm being very simplistic here, I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, you know, if, if we, let's say in America, uh, had groups of people who had to go and say, go to South America and uh, restart the population there, I'm sure 
ensured that uh, a local population would essentially treat us as being somewhat superior. Uh, not that we go in there with that idea in mind, but th- we would be doing exactly the same thing that uh, these people had been faced with 12,000 years ago without, a, uh, without doubt. Where do you think these beings came from? If I lived in an unexplored and un- uncorrupted region of Earth, societal-wise, and, and bumped into humans, I wouldn't tell them where I'm from. I wouldn't give them my address. I would probably point at a distant star and say, oh, actually, I came from there, so they're not looking for me. Well, that's a very good point. And uh, given the track record of humans, I wouldn't want to give away my address either. Um, but here's the fun part. And this is what I began to really ask in, uh, in earnest, because so much information that comes to us from legend or folklore or myth, uh, which are wonderful vessels for carrying information, uh, they're theatrical devices that help you to basically retell a story over over time without losing the narrative and um, a lot of this is also uh, involves metaphor and uh, you have to work for the metaphors to get to the answer and I first began to come across this connection with Orion. Uh, Orion always keeps popping up or the belt stars of Orion. Uh, we already know that there are many monuments here on the face of the earth that mirror uh, the belt stars of Orion and they point to a specific date of about 10,400 BC um, but it it never occurred to me that perhaps the connection would actually be uh, physical and uh, literal. So I began to look into the uh, stories of the, the Hopi, the Zuni. I will go to Central America, uh, uh, Egypt. I've been in the Middle East, uh, in Polynesia. And the more I began to compile all of these stories, the more I began to realize that these people were actually t- saying that they had had physical contact with these people and they undoubtedly came from the belt stars of Orion or uh, the belt stars of Orion somehow form some kind of a a reed that connects to the earth via some kind of portal from which people can actually traverse the entire universe and uh, the, the, in, in the Maya world in Central America and even before that because the Maya are actually comparatively new uh, compared to their progenitors they talked about not just the bell stars of Orion being central to the homeland of the gods but also the central area, the triangular area which is actually pinpointed by the um, nebula M42 so it seems to be this sort of re- regenerative part of the universe there seems to be a point of contact for people going to and fro using a kind of technology we just do not have. Uh, and uh, when I got to New Zealand and spoke to one of their original people who were the Waitaha, who hardly anyone has ever heard of outside of New Zealand, uh, predate the Maori by thousands of years, they have just published their oral traditions. And it blew my mind to understand that even today, uh, the uh, 9,000 or so remaining people of that tribe, they still describe coming into contact with their original gods, who, again, they treated uh, like, you know, you and I would meet each other at the pub and give each other a hug. They just described as being very intelligent people that came from somewhere else, uh, no sense of self-importance. The only difference being that these people knew a lot more about the mechanics of nature, about navigation, about the stars, uh, about mathematics. And over time, uh, this group of people called the Urukehu, which basically means the red-haired people, they would give the tribe, they would give the Waitaha wisdom keepers a little bit of knowledge, which went into this basket, um, which they basically would use as a symbol for containing the knowledge of the tribe. And they said, under no uncertain terms, that we 
had physical direct contact with these people because they used to come to our villages and to the point where the three central groups of the Waitaha culture are actually based upon one of the three, um, excuse me, uh, each of the three belt stars of Orion. So for them, it was not symbolic. It was actual a matter-of-fact connection. It was a physical connection. Uh, and it completely mirrors what the Hopis say as well, that over the course of thousands of years, they have had direct contact with people that um, are either coming directly from Orion or they actually associated with Sirius as well. So I'm, I mean, and again, it's it's uh, the, the idea of writing these books is not putting my idea or my beliefs into any of this. I like to let the indigenous people tell their story. I rather hear it from people who are closer to the events than we are today, because I find their stories so much more compelling. Uh, and, you know, why would they lie about this? Why would they make this up? And if you really think about it, if they were that backward, how could they fabricate such incredible stories to begin with? Uh, so I find their stories very compelling. Uh, and the big question question now is, of course, uh, how did these people get uh, to and from their point of origin in this constellation all the way down here and back again uh, in the blink of an eye? You mentioned Sirius. Sirius B, what's your take on the Dogon tribe that knew of Sirius B before modern man discovered it? Well, it's interesting. There's been a if you follow certain uh, books and certain websites like Wikipedia, there's a lot of uh, um, disinformation and contradiction going on. Um, I'm familiar with Robert Temple's book, which is also partly based on an original anthropological um, uh, discussion that was done by French historians when they lived among the Dogon. And again, I find their accounts quite compelling. Uh, I can't prove it one way or the other, but I do find the stories of the Dogon quite compelling simply because they had accumulated a lot of the information from a nearby culture called the Egyptians. And uh, one of their central figures was a, a, a god, a man called the Nomos, who was uh, depicted as half man, half fish, which incidentally just happens to be exactly the same depiction by the Mesopotamian people of the Anunnaki, which are also given a very bad rap and uh, um, and terribly so because they really are, were actually very enlightened people. Um, the Anunnaki also were depicted as half man, half fish simply because they were a seafaring people. Uh, they came from an island somewhere in the middle of the Indian Ocean, which has now disappeared. So from that point of view, the idea that uh, the Dogon would have inherited this star knowledge from a fish man who is related to the Mesopotamian gods who were here before the flood, uh, I find that rather a compelling story. Uh, they would have obviously shared their information about the skies with the Dogon uh, for, for whatever reason. And the Dogon would, would maintain this net culture in order to point to the fact that some of their wisdom comes from uh, the star people, uh, again, as anyone in the southwest of America would agree. Well, back to the Dogon. I don't want to stay with the Dogon all the time, but I just find it fascinating. I had a conversation with them years ago, and I remember when they were talking about how they became a breakaway civilization of Egypt. Weren't they the priests of Egypt, and perhaps they were persecuted, and they held a lot of the knowledge and through initiation, that's how they disseminate that information today. 
Uh, there is that uh, that possibility, yes, because uh, we're talking we're now talking in historical times, uh, particularly around the time when the Syrians invaded Egypt and everybody had to go underground. Uh, right. You had to survive to live for another day, and uh, it wasn't just uh, them; it was also the Tuareg, uh, who another nomadic culture in uh, northern Sahara. They also have a lot of information which I've just come across. Um, ironically, because I was studying about the giant people in Sardinia from where I've just come back from, and that they too have a lot of information concerning this race of unusual people, uh, described in exactly the same way as the Dogon, and uh, the Tuareg themselves seem to be echoing a lot of the traditions of the priestly caste of Egypt. Again, uh, if you have something that's so important as uh, ancient information, um, just like a bank account, if you're going to be threatened... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, Proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at VeritasRadio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at VeritasRadio.com.